You may have heard about a terrible earthquake that hit the country of Haiti a few years back. Tens of thousands of people died in that earthquake and the subsequent famine that came after that. The news reported about a particular man by the name of Remy Poulevard. Remy Poulevard had five children, all of which died as their home collapsed upon them. When the people of the town were gathered together and bodies were being burned because there was no possible way they could get them all buried in time, Remy Poulevard came and he said very loudly, there is no God. And as in the downtown streets near the University of St. Gerard, there was a woman that walked up wearing an orange dress and pulled out a copy of the Bible and threw it into the fire. When we think about those particular events and the devastation that hit that nation and those people, and the throwing of the Bible into the fire, and the declaration that there is no God, is one that reminds us once again that sometimes we do not do a good job of dealing with tragedy and questions that relate to the Bible. I remember vividly my very first class in graduate school when the professor took his Bible, or took a Bible threw it on the ground, and then repeatedly stomped on it. And he said, if this offends you, you're going to have a tough time in this class. And I thought, oh boy, I'm in for a long one. If it wasn't for the fact that there were several other friends of mine that were in that class that I was hoping that I could be the voice of reason, I probably would have walked out. Then the story is told in the newspapers based on recent polls that the Bible is one that there is rising skepticism. As a matter of fact, fewer and fewer people are looking at the Bible at all, and fewer and fewer people believe that the Bible is the Word of God. Instead, what's happening is that the credibility of the Bible is one that is shrinking, and more and more people feel that there's that level of skepticism that's rising, and there's just not a whole lot of trust in anything, and there's certainly not much trust in the Bible. And so, We think about what's happening in the world around us, in the nation in which we live, in what is happening to the Bible. There's an account about a man by the name of William McPherson that in a work accident, an explosion at work, he lost his hands and he lost his eyes. 
in that explosion. He found it difficult to face a world in darkness. And God's word became extremely important to him. And he wanted so badly to read the Bible. But he obviously had no more sight, so that wasn't going to work. And Braille wasn't going to work because he had lost his hands and he had artificial hands. He tried to read the raised letters with his lips, but the dynamite had so seared his lips he no longer had any feeling in his lips, and so that wasn't going to work. And he became more and more discouraged and more and more frustrated until one particular night he discovered that he could actually distinguish the letters with his tongue. And so he would spend hours at a time learning to read the Braille Bible with his tongue. And it would bleed and it would become sore, but he pressed on in reading the Bible with his tongue. Over a period of 65 years... William McPherson read through the entire Bible, all 66 books, four times with his tongue. What is it about some people that want to throw a Bible into the fire and some people that want to stomp on it and some people that love it so much that they'll make their tongue raw and bleed just to be able to read it? For themselves. How do we have such a wide disparity of opinions regarding this one particular book that has elicited so much radical responses on both sides of the equation? In that reading in Luke chapter 8, Jesus noted that the Word of God is a seed. And as a seed is sown, it lands in four different places. Among the path, among the rocks, among the weeds, among the good soil. Each one of those soils represents every conceivable human being. The entire spectrum of the hearts of men, including all of us here tonight, is represented. We're one of the four. And the seed is sown upon our hearts. And one of those four is going to describe our reaction to the word. Our response to the word. Our relationship with the word. We are one of those four soils. And you'll notice that Jesus says in that particular parable, all four heard the word. That's not the problem. The question is not, well, they, they never had a chance to hear it. No wonder they didn't obey it. No, they, they all heard it. The problem isn't that they didn't receive an opportunity to be exposed to the truth. The issue at hand is how they would respond to what they heard. And as God wanted that particular parable preserved, it's how we respond to what we hear. How we respond when the Word of God is sown in our hearts. We're not going to discuss all four soils. We're just going to focus on one. Did you notice in verses 11 and 12 
that Jesus said that the devil comes and he steals or takes away the word from their heart. You notice that? That's what the devil wants to do to you, to me, to us. Take away the word out of our hearts. But how does he attempt to do this? Tonight, briefly, I want to talk about four ways. Four ways that Satan is going to, tr- going to try to take the word out of your heart and mine. To get the Bible out of your neighbor's hearts, your co-workers' hearts, your relatives' hearts. How does he do it? How does he succeed since the majority of the people in the world have rejected the Bible? Satan has managed to do that. How? How has he managed to do that? First of all, he steals the seed by challenging the credibility of the Bible. I've considered it such a blessing to be with you these several days and as we've talked about how we got the Bible. And what we've looked at, and I realize there are some people tonight that were unable to attend the seminar. But what we talked about in the seminar is basically four ways that Satan has succeeded in stealing away the seed by challenging the credibility of the Bible. First of all, he's challenged the fact that the Bible is claiming to even be God's word. If you can get, if Satan can get someone to believe that the Bible isn't from God, victory won, job done. My neighbor, his name is John. One day during the day, he needed to go to a doctor's appointment and his wife was already gone to work and they had forgotten that they had that doctor's appointment and he saw me at home and he asked me if I could take him to the doctor's appointment. I said, I'd be glad to. So we got in the car and we're making the journey to his doctor's appointment and it was about a 20, 25 minute drive. And so I asked John, I said, John, do you believe in the Bible? Nah. Nah, I don't. I said, why not? And he said, it's, it's because it's, it's so full of, of contradictions and mistakes. I said, have you ever seen any of those mistakes? Read those contradictions? No, never have. But I've heard a lot about it. And, you know, I... A lot of people have said the same thing about the Bible. And so, yeah, I, and I told him, I said, John, you need to read it with your own eyes rather than trust the opinion of men. But with someone like my neighbor, John, Satan has succeeded in challenging the credibility. It can't be inspired of God. It's got too many mistakes. He challenges the credibility by making us doubt that we've got the right books. We talked about that in the second session of our seminar. We talked about 39 Old Testament books, 27 New Testament books, but you've got some that say, yeah, but there are some books that shouldn't be in there. Or, you know, there are some other books 
that should have been included. And then you've got popular novels that, and movies like Dan Brown and The Da Vinci Code that suggest that, man, there was so much politicizing in the creation of the Bible. You've got all of these powers that are wrestling with one another to decide which Bible books get in and which get uh, eliminated. And oh, what a mess. It's, it's so convoluted. Satan wins. Or there'll be some, like some of the professors I had, that said, you know, the Bible, we have no originals, and all we have are copies of copies of copies of copies. And they, through the years, through the centuries, got things so messed up that we have no way that we can trust that our Bibles were accurately copied. A lot of people believe that. I even read an article that was in U.S. News and World Report in which that very point was being made. I read an article from a national columnist who said the same thing. The Bible has been copied so much, it's chock full of errors. And there are people that believe that. Another point for Satan. And then there are those people that say the Bible has been so poorly translated that the people that translated the Bible, they've got their own doctrines, they've their own agendas, and so they're putting in their little beliefs into the Bible that you, you can't trust what they've said. Your Bible is so messed up because these men have stuck in their own beliefs and so people say well I'm certainly not interested in your doctrine I'm interested in the truth and if that's if that's what the Bible is in our English translations then why would I bother to to bother read it and so so people don't another point for Satan so what he does is he challenges the credibility of the Bible But what we've been able to see and hopefully answer at least to some degree is that none of those challenges are true. That none of the things that are being said that challenges the credibility of the Bible is accurate at all. We have the right books and there's a lot of good evidence to prove that we do. That the Bible was accurately copied and there's overwhelming evidence to show that it was accurately copied. And our English Bibles... Man, those committees of translators have done an amazing job. And you can learn the truth. You can know what God wants you to do from studying your Bible. So we say Satan shouldn't win in challenging the credibility of the Bible. But he has in the hearts of a lot of people. Second, he steals away the seed by contradicting it. Remember the discussion that Satan had with Eve in the garden. He asked her what God said in regard to eating the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And Eve said that God had forbidden them to eat of it. And on the day that you eat, you shall surely die. Remember what Satan said? You will surely not die. And so what Satan does is he just comes right flat out and contradicts the Bible. 
The Bible is wrong. Yes, it's God said that, but that's not what's going to happen. You are not going to die. There are always going to be, and there are in our world today, people that contradict the Bible. You've got passages like 2 Peter chapter 3 that know this first of all, that in the latter days, the false teachers will come following after their own lusts, saying, where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning. Well, these false teachers are saying, look at around you. There, he's not coming back. That whole thing was a lie. That whole di- idea about a second coming of Jesus, forget it. Forget about it. <clears throat> Live the way you want. They're following after their own lust, Peter said. So why would we be surprised that there are going to be people that will contradict the Bible because they want to do what they want to do? You know, I've wondered, when Jesus made the promise about coming back, He made that promise about 33 A.D. Second Peter was written about 68 A.D., about 30 years later, and they're going, Phew. All this time has passed. Imagine if those false prophets had been told 2,000 years later, Jesus still hasn't come. Boy, that would really have convinced them. But yet, that's what Satan wants us to do. The promise was made so long ago. Why are we still holding on to an empty promise? 2,000 years after the promise was made. Are you kidding me? He's not coming. Give it up. And if he's not coming, there's no judgment day. There's no heaven. There's no hell. Just live the way you want. Satan wants to contradict what the Bible says. He wants us to not believe that what the Bible says is true. And he does this in so many different ways. I don't know if you do much surfing, and I'm certainly not encouraging you to do this. But I've done a little bit of surfing just because this is part of what I do for a living and learning and seeing what people are saying about the Bible. And so I find a website like this, evilbible.com, and you can see that it's got... Uh, a list of Bible contradictions. And as you read through this, and then another website that I found, 101 clear contradictions in the Bible. And I've gone through every single one of these, along with my other teachers at Bear Valley, and there are answers to every single one of these supposed contradictions. Sometimes, The argument that's being made is just ridiculous. But yet how many people are going to actually do enough investigating to see that these are not contradictions at all? But that's exactly what Satan wants. Just like my neighbor John. Ah, the Bible's full of contradictions. And never have looked at the Bible with his own eyes. Never had read a single passage in the Bible. 
Satan also steals the seed by misrepresenting it. You know, when Satan tempted Jesus, he quoted Scripture. He quoted from Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. So Satan knows what the book says. He was able to quote it. But he misapplies what the passage was saying. He's trying to use the Bible in order to get Jesus to sin. Have you ever seen that happen before? Have you ever seen someone use the Bible to actually promote something that's wrong? I've seen people use the Bible to encourage young people to live together before marriage. I've read an article recently that was written by a religious authority that was biblically justifying abortion and euthanasia. Wow, really? But this is what happens and this is how Satan works. He wants the Bible to be misrepresented, to be misapplied. He doesn't want people to know what the Bible says about the church. And so he misrepresents about the church. You can be a Christian without church. You don't need to go. Worship at home. Worship in the mountains. Worship by the the river or the lake. Of course, make sure you got a hook in the water while you're doing it, but you can still do it there. Misrepresenting what the Bible says. Well, that's one more. Win for Satan when he gets people to do that. As long as they misuse the Bible, he has no problem with their using, looking at the Bible. As long as they misuse it, that's perfectly fine with Satan. There are some out there that think the Bible needs to have a warning label, and I know that you can't read uh, that warning label, but what it says in the very first part is, Warning, this is a book, a work of fiction. Do not take it literally. Don't take it literally. That's what people out there are trying to do with the Bible. Let's slap a warning label on it. Don't take it literally. Don't take it seriously. Don't think it is something that actually is a rule book for your life or a guide to your life or something that you're going to have to give an answer to at all, don't take it literally. It's full of all kinds of fables and stories. And that's what Satan does. And then third, Satan steals the seed by minimizing its power. Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 8 and verse 11, because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed quickly. Therefore, the hearts of men are given wholly to do evil. Now think about that. If you did something wrong and you were immediately punished for it, well, that would encourage you not to do that again. But when you do something that's wrong and it's like, hey, nothing happened. Apparently, I got away with it. Were you ever that way as a child? 
Now, I'm sure nobody here was, but I was. I got away with this. <laughs> but when I did something wrong and immediately got punished, I was a little bit reluctant to do that one again. Ecclesiastes 8.11 is saying, because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed quickly, therefore the hearts of the sons of men are given fully to do evil. What Satan wants people to believe is that the Bible is full of empty threats. It's not going to happen. Relax. This whole idea about a judgment day, not going to happen. This whole idea of you're standing before the throne of God, don't worry about it. It's not going to happen. Don't take the Bible for what it's saying with all of these threats. Paul explains in Romans chapter 3 and verse 18 why it is that people sin. And he says quite simply because there's no fear of God in their eyes. I'm not afraid of God. God's not going to do anything. And of course, Satan would love it if you go all the way to not even believing that there is a God. That's the ideal. Atheism. Obviously, you're not going to worry about Judgment Day, worry about there uh, being a supreme power. You don't even believe there is a supreme power. And you certainly don't accept the Bible... Well, so maybe you're not an atheist, maybe you're an agnostic. You're not really sure. You're not really sure whether there is a God or isn't a God, and so as a result, you don't really do much of anything. Satan's perfectly fine with that. And then, if someone, yeah, they're a Christian, but... They're marginal. They're not really all that involved. They're not really that serious about their Christianity. Satan's okay with that. He doesn't care that you're here tonight. As long as, as long as you're not engaged, as long as you're not really thinking about these things seriously, he's perfectly fine with your coming. Doesn't matter. It's when the seed is in our hearts that he's got a problem. As long as the seed, the word of God is over here and I'm over here, Satan's perfectly fine with that. It's when this becomes something that molds me and shapes me and directs my thinking in my life, then he's got a problem. And so he wants to minimize its power. And then fourth, I think I got ahead of myself. That was fourth one. <laughs> when he thinks about what he's doing in minimizing the power, damaging credibility of the Bible, making us question what the Bible is saying, he wins. And that's what he wants. That's what he's striving for, is to win your heart. Keep the seed away from your heart. What we've really talked about 
is the Bible and you. Has Satan won? Has he succeeded in stealing the seed from your heart? We go back and read that text again. It says in Luke chapter 8 verse 12 that the reason that Satan does this is according to Jesus so that they may not believe and be saved. That's the bottom line. That's really what this is all about. Because Satan knows that if you take this word and you apply it in your life, you're going to be saved. God is going to save you. He promises in this word that he will. John says in 1 John 5, You can know that you have eternal life. You can know that you have eternal life. How can I know? You can know it because God's promises are sure. As a matter of fact, did you know that the Bible says on more than one occasion, both in the Hebrew letter and in Titus, it is impossible for God to lie. It's impossible for Him to lie. And so if God says that if you repent and are baptized your sins will be forgiven, you can rest assured that if you do that, your sins are going to be forgiven. If the Bible says that if you are a part of the body of Christ, the church that He built and died for, if you're a part of the church of Christ, when Jesus comes back, you will be saved You can rest assured in that because it's a promise of God. When we think about the Bible in you, James 1.21 says it's the implanted word that is able to save men's souls. God wants that word to be something that is really a part of our lives. Is it really a part of your life? I mean, is there going to be some time tomorrow that you do some Bible reading? I hope so. If not, (laughs) never better time to start than right now. Bible reading every day. Thinking about the Bible every day. Buy a Bible CD. Listen to it on the way to work. Have it playing in the background if you're going to be at home. But make the Bible a part of your life. Where you're listening to it all the time. 1 Peter 1 and verse 23 says, For you have been born again, not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and abiding Word of God. That's how you are born again. That's how you have eternal life. And yesterday we talked about Revelation 20, 11 through 15, where John is describing this great day of judgment, where all the great and the small are going to be standing before the throne. And books are going to be opened, and a book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to the things written in the books, according to their deeds. If we've followed God's word, we've got his promise. We've got his guarantee that we're his children, we're going to be saved. That's the beauty of the Bible. That's what Satan doesn't want you to believe, doesn't want it to be a part of your life. You know, we've spent a lot of time and several hours thinking about the Bible in this uh, last weekend and today. The Bible in you. What part does it play? 
What role does it play? It is the Word of God. It is the basis on which we will be judged. Jesus said, John 12 and verse 48, that it's my word that judges. The Bible in me, it is my lamp. It is my light. It is the basis of our judgment. Tonight as we sing this song of encouragement, have you followed the Bible? Are you obedient to the Bible? I hope so. If not, let's fix that tonight. Let's remedy that and get us back on track. If you've obeyed by obeying the gospel of Jesus, by repenting of your sins and confessing Jesus as Lord and being immersed in the waters of baptism, you know, the Bible says that when you do that, you're clothed with Christ, Galatians 3.27. You are buried with Christ, Romans 6, verses 3 and 4. The Bible says that when you're baptized, you're saved, 1 Peter 3 and verse 21. Have you done that? And if you have, then the challenge is for us to every day strive to be more faithful and more Christ-like. Romans chapter 8, verses 29 and 30. God wants us to be conformed to the image of His Son. That's our goal. That's what we're striving to be. Can we help you in any way? Let us know while we stand and sing this song of encouragement. <laughs>